You're listening to Critical Conversations with Secure America Now. We are a nonpartisan organization dedicated to bringing critical security issues to the attention of the American people. I am Alan Roth, president of Secure America Now, and we are fortunate today to have with us our guest, Heather McDonald, the author of the must-read book, The War on Cops. Welcome, Heather McDonald. Oh, thank you so much, Alan, for having me on. I greatly appreciate it. I want to begin our conversation by asking you a broad question. Who is waging this war on cops, and how is it impacting the lives of law-abiding Americans? The war on cops is being waged by an alliance of the media, activists, agitators, and unfortunately, politicians as high up as President Obama. They are all spreading a very dangerous and mendacious narrative that policing today is infected by lethal bias, that police are the biggest threat facing young black men today. And as a result of those lies and the hatred that they foster in the streets against officers, officers are backing off of proactive policing, and as a result Crime, especially in inner-city areas, is shooting through the roof, and lives are being lost above all black lives. Why are these – why is the media taking the word or the agitation that is being um, fed – the American public by movements like the Black Lives Matter movement. Why is there this, um, without question, I mean, we even saw Hillary Clinton the other day saying that that this is a problem that whites have to change or they have to change their behavior. While you and your book make it very, very clear that um, that black-on-black crime is a huge problem in this country and that the police, in many cases, and very highly publicized uh, incidents, like in Ferguson, that the police, in fact, after the initial media brouhaha, when the facts came out, the police were found to have done their job rather than trying to execute innocent people. Why do you think this this system of perpetrating, in, in many cases, lies or false narratives is taking place um, in, when it comes to police shooting? Well, we have a huge industry committed to racial victimology today, Alan. The academy is simply a factory of racial grievance. Uh, I think most parents are clueless about how bad things are in the academy outside of the hard sciences, Uh, but the, the rest of the academy in social science and the humanities has betrayed its mission of preserving the greatest works of of human culture and Western civilization and instead is is 
convincing these privileged students, whether they're black or white or Hispanic or female or male, to think of themselves as either victims or oppressors. So that's, that is a powerful force in our culture. The media comes out of the academy. Uh, politicians are influenced by it. But I think if you want to go deeper than that, uh, America is, is, has a very long, enduring guilt complex about its indisputable, pernicious treatment of blacks and, and the betrayal of our founding ideals for so many centuries uh, that, that did not treat blacks equally. Amazingly, given how gross that violation of our founding ideals was, we have done an about-face. I think racism, white racism against blacks, is a negligible force in society today. There is not a single elite institution, whether it's the universities, corporations, banks, uh, foundations, the media, nonprofits that are not tying themselves into knots to either hire or admit as many black applicants as they possibly can. Colleges are, are exercising massive racial preferences in favor of underrepresented minorities, preferences that have the exact opposite effect of their alleged intended effects. Uh, so it is very, but we still are committed to this narrative that whites are the ones that are holding blacks back. And so nobody wants to look at the social breakdown in the inner city that has resisted government spending, that has resisted uh, civil rights legislation, that now when you have nationally 73% of all black children being born out of wedlock and in inner city areas, it's closer to 80, 85%. That's a civilizational catastrophe. But it is too painful uh, for society to look at that reality, and instead it's much easier to blame outside forces, whether it's the police or, uh, you know, the various phrases that are thrown out there now, implicit bias, institutional racism, uh, you know, white privilege, all of these things that are sideshows to the real problem of, of breakdown of personal responsibility in the inner city. You know, in your book, you go into some detail about what you call and others have called the Ferguson effect. Could you just go through that in a general way and explain what the Ferguson effect is and why it's important, uh, one, for Americans to understand it, but also what the impact it's having, it's having on policing. Well, I, I coined the term the Ferguson effect nationally. It was first used by the St. Louis police chief, Sam Dotson, to describe what he saw going on in St. Louis. St. Louis is very nearby Ferguson, Missouri. Ferguson, Missouri was where we had the Michael Brown hoax that, that really gave the firepower to the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, the idea that Michael Brown was killed in cold blood 
while surrendering the hands up, don't shoot myth. That was an utter hoax, but eagerly consumed by the media. And St. Louis police officers were involved in the trying to put down the riots and protect law-abiding uh, businessmen and their workers from, from the destruction of their livelihoods. And they were feeling the same hatred generated by the Black Lives Matter hoax as, as officers in Ferguson itself. And they started backing off of proactive policing. And, and in, in St. Louis, uh, after August 2014, you had a huge spike in violent crime. I then noticed in the first half of 2015 that crime was going up at double-digit increases, sometimes triple-digit, uh, in cities with large black populations. Um, and I was hearing from officers across the country uh, that they were experiencing, again, a huge degree of hostility in the streets and and were being sent the message by Black Lives Matter activists that they were racist, and so they were to they were also backing off of proactive policing, uh, and and that was what was behind the crime increase. And so last year we finished 2015 with in cities with large black populations a homicide increase of anywhere between 54 percent in Washington D.C up to 90% in Cleveland. This is a huge one-year increase. If you look at the 56 largest cities, the homicide increase was 17%. That is itself almost unprecedented. So as officers back off of proactive policing in areas that are gang-infested, where people are crying out for police protection, criminals become emboldened and crime goes up. Do you um, do you have any indication? I heard on one news report that police departments are having problems getting recruits. That there has been a downturn in the number of people who are looking for work as policemen, in part or maybe a major part, because of what. Uh, because of this war against cops? Alan, that is absolutely the case. Last summer, the police chief of Pasadena, California, told me it's no longer an applicant pool, it's an applicant trickle. This is happening to police departments across the country. Why would anybody want to go into the police profession now when he knows that he is going to be vilified as a racist? And officers are leaving the profession early, they are forgoing their pensions uh, because the situation in the streets is now so hostile, so charged, so violent uh, against officers' lawful authority that people are saying, as a, as, a, as a Chicago cop told me a month ago when I was out there, the job is basically undoable now. He said he's never experienced such hatred in the streets in his 20 years on the job. You know, today, uh, Tom Solwell wrote a very praiseworthy review of your book, The War on Cops, and one of his major points is that Heather McDonald speaks facts. She provides us with facts, 
and her critics close their eyes to the reality. Um, do you agree with that? Yes. I mean, I've heard people actually, I mean, just deny the facts of black crime. These are These are data provided by the Justice Department, by the Bureau of Justice Statistics, and the ultimate source of, of much of that data comes from victims themselves. In New York City, we know because of victims and witnesses to crime, it's not the police making this up, that blacks commit between 75 and 80 percent of all shootings, even though they're 23 percent of the population. Again, I cannot stress it. How do we know this? It's the victims of those shootings or the witnesses to those shootings that are giving us that data. When you add, when you add Hispanic shootings to black shootings in New York City, you get 98% of all shootings. Whites are 34% of the population. They commit less than 2% of shootings in New York City. Uh, those are the facts, and yet people will either just ignore them in discussing policing, as President Obama did both before and after Dallas, uh, giving police statistics with no reference to crime, or they will actually deny them, which really takes a lot of gall, uh, given that they are verified and and accurate. You know, one of the things you mentioned, President Obama's reaction, I mentioned earlier Hillary Clinton's reaction to that tragedy in Dallas. One of the things that struck me in frankly, it angered me, was the moral equivalency that they and members of the media drew between uh, police shootings that were under investigation and this obvious ambush that took place in Dallas. And I felt that it sent the absolute wrong message. Do you agree? Alan, uh, that takes a lot of courage to say, and you're absolutely right. Uh, the assassinations in Dallas were cold-blooded murder. They were deliberate. They were planned for months. They were driven by explicit racial hatred. The cops in the Baton Rouge, Alton Sterling, and Philando Castile shootings believed themselves to be confronting suspects that were they were facing potentially lethal force. Those officers did not intend to take a life uh, without justification. They made, perhaps, in the, at least in the case of the Alton Sterling, some bad tactical decisions. They did not need to get as close to him. But let's not forget, they had received a call of a man with a gun threatening a homeless person. Uh, that incident would not have happened if Alton Sterling had not pulled out his gun and threatened somebody. Now, again, officers may have made some bad tactical judgments, and it's a tragedy that Alton Sterling's life is taken if it turns out to be the case that he was not reaching for his gun, but we simply do not know that yet. All we have had are two videos and and the testimony of one person who said that he was not reaching for his gun. How he knows, I don't know, he was not so close. But let's not forget 
that there were eyewitnesses, alleged eyewitnesses to the Michael Brown shooting that said that Michael Brown was surrendering uh, and and had his hands up, all of which proved to be an utter hoax. So it is not necessarily the case that eyewitnesses are either perceiving correctly or are telling the truth. We still need to know the facts in those two shootings. Uh, but it is it is completely uh, destructive and irresponsible to equate uh, the cops acting in good faith and possibly making mistakes to the heinous assassination of law enforcement. You know, um, at Secure America now, I mean, we have a community of over 3 million people, uh, and when we post something in defense of cops or uh, praising our police officers, we get the largest traffic that you can imagine, that we can imagine, <laughs> and because of the support of average Americans. What do you feel that our elected officials, what should they be doing to bring this, it looks like an epidemic of anti-cop uh, rhetoric and actions um, under control. How can we turn this around? Well, uh, the only thing I can see to do is something that is most people don't have the guts to do, which is to give the facts about crime, because that's how we have to understand. The only way to understand policing is to understand crime. Policing today is data-driven. Police don't care what the race is of suspects. They care about where suspects are victimizing people, and that is predominantly in minority neighborhoods. But as long as those facts remain off stage, what we get from, from President Obama and Hillary Clinton and Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch, our former and current attorney generals, is data about policing stripped of crime. It is true that... Uh, police actions can be disproportionate to population ratios, but they're not disproportionate to crime. I spoke a minute ago about the shooting uh, percentages in New York City, Alan. Blacks are 23% are of the population. They commit between 75 and 80% of all shootings. Well, blacks are 53% of all people whom the police stop for pedestrian stops known as stop, question, and frisk, or, the, or Terry stops. So if you look just at population figures, you say blacks are 23% of the, of the city's population in New York. They're 53% of all pedestrian stops. Aha! The police must be virulently racist because they're targeting blacks for stops. If, if you only look at that, that's the conclusion. But when you look at violent crime and see that blacks are committing over three-quarters of all shootings and 70% of all robberies in New York City, it turns out that at 53% of stops, they're being understopped compared to their crime rates. And whites, in fact, are being overstopped because whites, 34% of the population, commit less than 2% of all shootings and 4% of all robberies, yet they make up 9% of all subjects stopped by the police. That's true in Chicago as well disparities. So unless our politicians strap on some balls 
and start telling the truth about crime as well as policing, uh, there's no end to this thing. I would like to end this conversation, because I know that you're under a time constraint, um, with a somewhat personal question, which is, what has been the reaction of those who oppose you? Have they been civil to you? Have they been um, uh, obnoxious in terms of your book and your writings? Um, because you're challenging a very popular narrative here. Uh, they've been pretty obnoxious. I've had the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, the Austin chapter, post my home address and my home phone number on the web with the message that racist journalists don't get a pass. Uh, excuse me. Um, uh, you know, I've been, of course, I've been accused of being a racist uh, and and being an enemy of blacks. You know, I'm giving voice to the many people in inner-city neighborhoods who love the cops and who want them, and they are not represented in the inner, in, in the media narrative. Well, Heather McDonald, one, I want to thank you for the work that you have done. You certainly are an expert in this subject matter, and for having the courage to, in fact, state facts that those in power are not exactly uh, anxious for the American people to hear. I also want to tell you that Secure America Now, we are going to promote this conversation as well as facts from your book on just about every social media platform, uh, and we are a pretty big force in those areas, and we will do that. And uh, I want you to think of us as an ally in getting the truth out. And um, just if there's any way, shape, or form that you think that we can be of assistance, please let me know. And Alan, that's great, because I don't do social media, so I'm grateful for the, for the support. Thank you so much, and it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Critical Conversations with Secure America Now. For more information, please visit www.secureamericanow.org. 